you know that fresh produce is the best produce. That's why at Kroger, we invest in local farmers to bring you seasonal picks that taste fresh from the farm good, like sweet corn, refreshing watermelon, and juicy peaches. So whether you're a delivery lover, a picker-upper, or you shop in-store, your local produce always tastes 100% fresh, or you get a 100% refund guaranteed. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Spadrosian throws to Sandberg, and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first. It's over! 27 years of waiting have come to an end. The Giants have won the pennant. Welcome back to Thompson to Clark. Brad Evans and I, Double G, here. Uh, not been great for the BSPN network when it comes to uh, the Warriors, but hopefully, hopefully the Giants can pick it up a little bit because they had a pretty decent week last year. They started off this week not so great, but they have another game tonight that we hope that they can get back on the train here. But the big news is not about whether or not they're going to win tonight. We hope they will. It's about who's going to be starting at shortstop tonight none other yeah. than the youngster coming to the big leagues casey schmidt what'd you think about this i think you were a little surprised when you heard the news yeah i uh i gave you a whoa in the text return because i mean we knew it was going to be this year um <clears throat> and uh it was just kind of a, a little bit of a surprise um today i i mean i didn't think and again i don't follow day-to-day box scores of the um of the minor leagues you know we yeah. kind of get some blurbs here and there roger yeah. munter will throw out some great stuff yep um jeff young throws out some great stuff so we see some things um but i didn't you know i didn't i didn't think he was crushing it at the triple a level and apparently he's not but he but he's still hitting really well he's got the power he's finding the gaps um but it's the glove. I mean, yeah. if if you can play great uh, defense at second, short, and third, the Giants need you right now. And if you, <laughs> and you're in the minor league system, I mean, this is the first uh, Farhan infielder or position player draft pick actually that has has made it to the majors. So this is some pretty exciting stuff. Uh, that in itself is like okay, he's arrived. Uh, the Farhan regime has arrived to the major leagues. Let let's see what we can do from here. And then, you know, hot on the heels, we could see Kyle Harrison after maybe I'd say what maybe two more starts if he pitched like he did in his last outing. It's on the agenda for us to talk yeah. about here. Okay. Um, yeah. So I th- I think I mean there's this this is exciting. I think the Giants need a boost. I think the fan base needs a boost. They were what what were we with this week? Um, Four and four and two, four and three actually. Oh, count four and last three. We count game. Monday. Yeah, yeah. If you count Monday, it was a four and three week. Uh, we started off the week with the uh, Dubon slap in the face, um, <laughs> and then ended with the Washington Nationals barn burner offense <laughs> slap in the face last night. So you know we didn't talk about the Dubon thing, but no, it happened right after. Yeah, it was it right after like we recorded. Were, Right after that game, he took it to the press and aired his dirty laundry about how much uh, he didn't he didn't appreciate the little bit of playing time that he got. 
I mean, when you're goofing around on the base paths and, you know, bunting when you're up 11, nothing, it's, eh, I mean, playing time is going to be sparse. And, and when you're not like, you know, a gold glove caliber defensive player at any particular position, you got to work your way in and, you know, he didn't, yeah. he didn't like the little amount he was getting. On one hand, the fact that he plays outfield and infield should have helped him. Right. And that would have been an avenue for playing time is to just be a solid defender. But he just kind of got screwed because he was out of options. And the Giants, they, you know, they were hamstrung in a sense. Well, you can't, you're not really hamstrung. You create your own roster. But, you know, there was a, I, f- I forget who it was that was, that they had to clear space for and they couldn't send him back down. And the way that they utilized their roster, where it's like literally like every, every 26, uh, every member on the 26 man is like, there's a spot and there's a reason and you can't really wait. Like if he hit the baseball, I'm, I'm sure they would have found a position for him, but he just didn't. Now the thing that look, he could have every possible reason. This could just be him firing himself up, giving him a reason to play hard, to be mad yeah. at something. But, you know, they, they traded for him, and they created the opportunity for him to get some reps, and thus he was traded to the team that won the World Series title. So if I'm Dubon, I'm like, hey, may not have been great, but they did the thing that sent me to the place I wanted to be. And I'm a world champion because of it. So that's the tact that I would have taken. And maybe he has taken that tact in other places and we just haven't seen it, but we, you know, we saw what we saw uh, last week, which was, he was not very happy with the giants. I almost feel like whenever that, you know, whenever they talk about that, I almost feel like it's a shot at the Zadie process. Like, yeah, this is, we are just pieces to a puzzle for, for this guy. And, and, you know, in a sense, you kind of are until you aren't. And if you're Aaron judge, then you're not, you're just, you just line up every day. Uh, If you're Dubon, you know, you're in the lineup two uh, two every four games or, Three out of every five games. And in some instances, if there's just tons of hard righties, then you're, you're sitting for a little bit. So I, I understand right. it from his end, but the bigger picture for the Giants is that if this dude was hitting 350 with <laughs> bombs, like he's playing every day. Like that's just the, yeah. that's the point. And, and he's got a fantastic opportunity right now, unfortunately, because Altuve broke his thumb in the WBC. Yeah. Without that, is Dubon playing every day in Houston? I probably not. I mean, Altuve's man, Altuve's manning second base. So you've got that. And, and granted, I Dubon took the opportunity this season early and ran with it and, and has, has hit fantastic and has come out of the shoots and, and is playing great baseball. Something has happened since that little post, game scrum with the uh with the, the the press and he's hit 160 since then so i mean i, <laughs> I mean this is a guy who who has a tendency to sometimes get into his own head and maybe he did that maybe he's he said something and he regrets it and now he's just not playing great baseball but who maybe, knows maybe uh maybe zadie's into voodoo that we just don't know <laughs> um there's a very good possibility so before we move on i wanted to actually make this mention because 
Giants fans, longtime Giants fans, uh, heard about the news of the passing of Vita Blue over the weekend. And I was fascinated as a kid by Vita Blue. I, when I, I was probably like in the fourth or fifth grade, and you know how school libraries have some of the oldest books that like nobody would like, it's almost like they were hand-me-downs from the real library. Oh yeah. And so I found a Vita Blue biography. I believe it was written probably after his rookie season or like, you know, maybe soon thereafter. So it was, you know, one, not, not one of these like really in-depth biographies, probably these paint by number biographies. But as a kid, I'm like, Whoa, I get to read about baseball in the seventies and, you know, it's like 1988 or something. Right. Uh, no, actually in the fourth grade, I would have been what 86, 85, something like that. So I'm reading about Vita blue going, Oh my gosh, baseball happened before I started watching. And here's this guy (laughs) who's a rookie and he's just coming out. uh, uh, No one can hit him. And he's like in the all-star game and, like just this only positive, positive, positive. And then I was also a big fan of media guides as a kid. You read that he's an alumnus in, in, you know, of the giants. And then you kind of dig in even more. And it's like, this guy had such a fantastic career that was kind of derailed by something that derailed a lot of athletes in the seventies with uh, drug use. And then we got to see him pretty much throughout the nineties and two thousands as like this really good giants alumnus. If you were in the Bay area, you heard the cars for kids commercial with Vita blue, like constantly (laughs) uh, running or not in most places. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, and so like, he just became this like really strong person for the community, for the team. And you look at that guy and you're like, he, for a couple of seasons, he was like the best pitcher in all of baseball. So I always loved yeah. that Vita Blue story. Uh, lost at, by, at 73 years of age. You know, no, no, you know, we don't want, you don't want anybody to pass away, but 73 still right. feels a little early. Uh, it I, does. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, our parents are kind of, coming up around that age so it kind of you know when i see 73 and i'm like doing the math in my head i'm like oh i don't want to see it. i don't want to hear that yeah. um but uh but yeah so did what what was your vita experience when you because you started watching a little bit earlier than i did yeah so vita blue um he, he had a second stint uh with the giants in the 80s yes so that was kind of and, and i had heard the name and heard about him because of his Oakland days. My my grandmother, uh, my dad's mom, huge Giants fan. Uh, so growing up, that's kind of how I learned about the Giants for the most part was through her. And she used to talk about Vita Blue all the time, a Bay Area legend. Uh, so when I was, well, my first year in Little League was 1983. I was 10 years old, started a little bit late. Um, and... Oh, no, wait, it was before that. I think I was eight or nine. So it was early 80s, 81, 82. Um, And I had two gloves and I played second base, but I had two gloves. And it was a catfish hunter glove and a Vita Blue glove. So, of course, like you, I I thought I have these gloves 
I'm going to try to learn as much of these guys as I can. So I would always ask my grandmother and all she kept telling me was that two of the greatest pitchers ever. And they both pitched for Oakland um, by the blue blue pitch for the giants. Uh, and then, and then again, 80, what was that? Probably 86 or so Vita blue came back to the giants uh, right towards the end of his career. Yes. Um, and I had the baseball cards at that time I was 13 and that was the first giants year where we were like, okay, we're good. We have young guys and we have these veteran presence. Um, so always her talking about how good of a pitcher he was, uh, how great of a, 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 of a, of a person he was. Um, so those are kind of my memories. I, you know, and again, we're, we're kind of of that age where we're, we're missing a little bit of the, of the late seventies, early eighties mm-hmm. because we were so young. Um, so our teams are more the, you know, the Robbie Thompson's, the Will Clark's, um, you know, I go back a little bit earlier to like the earlier Dan Gladden, Jeffrey Leonard, Chili Davis, uh, Daryl Evans, Jack Clark, uh, all of those guys. So, but of course he wasn't there in between, Yeah, you know, in that time, but when he came along to us later on, um, you know, he was fun to watch and I thought, Oh, cool. We got, we got a legend on our team. And I remember that as a kid thinking, wow, we have this cool legend on our team. That's, that's really something special. And so I tried to watch all of his starts for sure. Um, you know, and yeah, that's, I mean, it's, and, and then he was with the, the A's pregame shows. He did some giants pregame shows with NBC sports Bay area as well. Uh, always very knowledgeable, uh, awesome guy to have on, um, they're going to miss him. And I mean, you know, it's, it's at that time where you start to lose all the legends, the seventies and 80 year olds, um, you know, kind of going, going, um, uh, going out and, and it's, it's a bummer, but, uh, yeah, love the guy. I mean, any former giant that's kind of like, we could have a wall in our offices, I think with, with pictures of all of these guys. And, uh, we would just love walking into that room every time and pointing them out. And we, you know, tell everybody about him, tell the kids. And the kids are like, who? I don't know that guy. <laughs> so I, I wanted to make sure that my description of his career was, uh, it, I, I don't want it to seem like that he completely fell off because he didn't completely fall off. Right. He, in his rookie year, 1971, though he had a few, uh, a few starts in 69 and in 70, he goes 24 and eight with a 1.8 to ERA, 24 complete games and eight shutouts. So just MVP, Cy Young, starts the All-Star game, and just out of the out of the gate, you're like, oh, this this guy's gonna be a Hall of Famer right out of the bat, right yeah. out of the gate. Second year, uh, I don't know, it looks like maybe he may have had some injury problems. I, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but he doesn't, he only has like 23 starts compared to 39 the year before, but he bounces back 73 goes 20 and nine ERA is not quite there. He's also not striking out as, as many people uh, 74 he's 17 and 15, 75, 22 and 11. So at this time in 75, he makes his second all-star game and then uh, 76 uh, he goes 18 and 13 and 79. He has his, his one, kind of bad year by the terms of bad, which is his ERA is close to four and he loses 19 games. Then the following year he's on the giants. So 78, 1978 San Francisco giants, the last great year. I'm talking about great year of his career. He goes 18 and 10 
Uh, still not striking out uh, everybody, so he's changing a little bit, but he makes the All-Star game again. He comes in third in the Cy Young voting. He, he will then make the All-Star game again in 80 and 81. Really good ERA seasons, uh, really good, uh, decent FIP seasons. Not, not fantastic with the FIP. Uh, and then 82 to Kansas City. He's, he's kind of a journeyman in Kansas City. Comes back in 85 with the Giants and finishes his career in 86. I didn't realize this because in 86, you and I are, are listening to just about every game we could possibly listen to. Yeah. He actually starts 28 games for that comeback Giants team, that 86 team that really kickstarts the late 80s and early 90s uh, run of good teams that they would have. And then uh, he goes 10 and 10, 3.27 ERA. FIP is a little higher, so some luck involved there for him. But he finishes off his career uh, in a decent decent way uh, for that 86 team. So full career, 209 uh, wins, 161 losses, 3.27 ERA for the entire career. So just, uh, you know, not quite a Hall of Famer. But I'm sure if you look at like his best five seasons, like you put his best five seasons together, him and Lincecum, right? Like those are like the five you put together their best five seasons. Those guys are are in, but you know other struggles outside of those five seasons. But I, I just wanted to give kudos to him. Uh, really, one of the first players uh, that intrigued me when it came to the history of baseball because i was just so interested what is this story of this guy who pitched for both the a's and the giants <laughs> and was like the best player for the one year and what happened like so i was yeah. always very interested in that story well and then when you look at his first you know his breakout year in 71 you look at the 301 strikeouts uh and, and then he doesn't come close to even really 200 strikeouts no. in, in a season the rest of his career. And, and you go, I wonder how that happens. Well, it's just, you know, he, he pitched in 312 innings in 1971. To, to put that in perspective, the last pitcher to throw 300 innings in a season was Steve Carlton in 1980. So that, I mean, we just don't, we don't see 300 inning pitchers anymore. Yeah. Uh, can you can you guess the uh, around how many innings pitched was the leader last year? Uh, one ninety five. Uh, it was actually Alcantara, uh, pitcher for Miami, two hundred and twenty eight. Oh wow, two innings. That is, and in the American League, American League, two hundred and one innings pitched. So we, I mean, we haven't seen even close to three hundred since nineteen eighty. Um, it started kind of telling you have some pitchers who threw 270 ish innings around the mid eighties. But so that's how, I mean, that's how he's getting the 301 strikeouts. Also, I mean, deceptive with that leg kick, that mm-hmm. thing is just outrageously awesome. Um, I, I remember in wiffle ball trying to emulate it. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, I'm going to kick myself in the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So let's talk about the latest news. So to make room for one Casey Schmidt, the Giants had to designate uh, Darren Ruff, who just recently had come back. They kind of saved him from uh, being designated by the Mets, and I—I I I mean, he would. I, I'm sure he, if he would have hit, they would have figured out a way to keep him around. But he didn't. He didn't hit in uh, you know like like bonkers. 
And so he is the odd man out here. And you kind of wonder about somebody like him. He was already kind of a journeyman. He found his home because of what the Giants value. You got to think that there may be another team out there that can value his ability to hit left-handed pitching. Uh, So I hope he gets another shot. Maybe he clears waivers and the Giants can figure out something to do with him. But uh, yeah, Darren Ruff off of the team currently to make room for Casey Schmidt. Yeah, he's uh, only hit uh, 200 in Sacramento, no home runs. So that, that's a tough one. I'd hate to see his career end that way. He does always have the um, uh, the history of playing in Korea. So could head back there if he wants to continue playing ball. But there's got to be. I mean, there's got to be a team out there uh, that needs a little bit of a veteran presence. And and a guy that can crush lefties, so I, he could he could stick around for possibly another season or two. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. All right. Let's talk about uh, the player of the week. Yeah, so we do player of the week every week. This this week, and I think going forward, kind of mixed it up a little bit. I wanted to make sure that we had, um, you know, we're kind of using, I like to try to use as much of the updated um you know, what, what do you call it? What, what are the, the advanced stats? I guess you could call them um, like in for the player of the week in the past, I was using WOBA, mm-hmm. uh, which is the weighted on base average, which kind of helps in, in terms of figuring out who's getting on base, um, take out the ballpark factors, defensive factors and everything else. And it's just how is that player getting on base using his skills? Uh, and that's kind of what I was using in player of the week. It's not that far off from WRC plus, which is weighted run creation plus. Um, and that actually, I'm going to read it here. It takes the statistic runs created, adjust that a number to account for important external factors like ballpark or era. It's adjusted. So a WRC plus of 100 is league average and 150 would be 50% above league average, which is really good. So, for example, a player who plays his home games at hitter-friendly Coors 
will have a lower WRC plus than a player who posts identical stats at pitcher friendly parks like Oakland Coliseum or Oracle. Uh, so I'm starting to use WRC plus a little bit more because I'm seeing that thrown around a little bit more often. And, and I like that stat. So it's weighted run creation. How are you helping the team score runs, which is obviously very important. If you're a giants fan, <laughs> you need more runs right now. Um, so I threw three names out there, and of course, I always try to pick one pitcher. Sometimes it could be three pitchers. Sometimes it could be three position players. De- totally depends on how the week goes. Um, but coming in third, uh, nice article written uh, recently about Lamont and Wade Jr. by Baggerly on The Athletic. Um, Lamont and Wade Jr. came in third, the seven, uh, 7% of the vote. And he had a 165 WRC plus for the for the week, which is 65% above average. Uh, hit 316 on the week, one home run, two ribs, four runs, and a 20% walk rate. And that's a lot of the article that Baggerly wrote is about the walk rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, uh, uh, the swing rate, uh, the take rate, and everything else, and, and how he's getting on base. I looked at his numbers. He's got 25 walks so far this season versus 25 strikeouts. Um, fantastic guy hitting 260, six home runs this season, healthy legs. Uh, he came into last season, kind of banged up, hit 207 on the year, only played in like 77 games. Uh, so he took third place in the vote this week. Uh, Disco, Anthony DiSclefani, and we did this vote before the game last night. Where we got <laughs> blown up in the first inning, by the way. Uh, this vote ended before that game even started, uh, but Disco got uh, second place with 35% of the vote, and uh, he, he had the one game where he threw eight innings, uh, gave up three hits, no earned runs, and got the win that week. Um, and Tyro, 182. Uh, WRC plus, and I think this is at least the second or third time he's won player of the week. He's having a fantastic season. Giants MVP easily, but he had a 182 WRC plus, uh, 348 average, two home runs, four ribs, four runs, and a stolen base. Um, continuing to play steady defense at second base, uh, which he worked on uh, a lot in the offseason with Kai Correa. Uh, you know, just awesome to see. So player of the week this week, the great Tyro Estrada. He is still hitting 347, which is amazing to me. Yeah. And not not because I don't think he's that guy, but I've had people ask me, you know, who are fantasy baseball players going like, is Estrada real? Like, what's the thing here? And my answer to them was the only thing that's probably not real is the batting average. Because if you look at his BABIP, uh, it's insanely high and it's not sustainable. So that will probably come down. But heck, if this dude hits 290 with 15 jacks and 35 stolen stolen bases, you're talking that's all-star levels. And and that would be great to see him in the all-star game. Yeah, especially for middle infielders right now. I don't think there's any that are just, you know, playing lights out. There are a lot of young middle infielders in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, So he kind of has a chance to cement himself, um, you you know, around Major League Baseball as the guy that uh, you want to try to pitch around or be careful with. You don't want him on base because he's going to steal a base. He's got some speed. Um, You know, the Giants with Lamont Wade Jr. won. And, you know, in most of the lineups, it's Lamont and Wade Jr. leading off. And then you got Tyro second. And then after that, you got a lot of strikeouts or home runs. Yeah. Um, so a guy like Casey Schmidt, who's hitting 300, 
in, in Sacramento. You know, he's batting seventh tonight uh, in his first big league start. But you know, having a guy like that is he going to help stretch the line out lineup a little bit out, uh, which would be nice because again, it's just kind of it's a little bit frustrating to watch. Like, all right, Lamont Wade Jr. walked, and then uh, you know, Tyro got on, and then it's strikeout, pop up, strikeout. And then we're out of the inning with no damage done. So, right. uh, you know, in a game like last night where uh, Washington jumped out to a 5 nothing lead, it would have been nice in the bottom of the first inning to get a couple runs back on the board and say, okay, you know, we're chipping away and we're going to stick around. But it was just kind of a boat race after that. The one thing I wanted to mention about Casey Schmidt is the fact that he can play shortstop allows them – to keep Tyro at second base. Not yeah. saying that he's a bad shortstop or anything, but he is, you know, he is an average shortstop. That That is right. his, you know, he, he doesn't have the great arm. Uh, and, and so for him to not have to think about like, okay, now I got to go away from my best position, you know, and play shortstop and, you know, Crawford, you know, to, to be fair to Crawford, he's, he's probably not going to play 150 games this year. He's just an older player. Right. You're going to want to rest him anyways. So if you have a guy like Casey Schmidt, who could play multiple positions, he can play shortstop. He can play third. Now I've seen, I've read some stuff on him that, you know, maybe third, he can probably be a really great defender and shortstop. He's going to lean a little bit more towards being an average defender, but the fact that Tyro can stay put and he can, you know, that will also, that will help his offense, I, I believe. So I'm actually interested in seeing what they do with Schmidt. It seems like they're going to give him some, some games right away. Uh, I don't, I don't imagine that they play. I, I probably when Crawford is ready, that's probably when he goes back down. And this is more of a let, let's just get him some reps here and see how he does and see how he handles being a professional. And then, you know, it, 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 later in the season, we may need him again. I'm, I'm guessing that's, I haven't read that. So uh, I, I'm very interested to see what he does. Cause you know, you, you want to see him have a good start and you don't want to see him get down and you want to see him help this team because the team has been pretty plucky uh, of late. And uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, but before yeah. let's talk about what we are drinking. Excellent. Oh, one last quick thing on Casey Schmidt, though. Uh, we did a quick poll today just because he got called up, a little fun poll, to see uh, where everybody thought he was going to get his first hit. If he got his first hit tonight, which at-bat? And most people said his second at-bat. So I think a lot of people want him to settle in and get that knock in his second at-bat. I said his first at-bat. He's going <laughs> to come out of the gate, man. He's going to come out of the gate. He's going to he's gonna make everybody kind of froth at the mouth after getting a, a base hit after his first at-bat. Make, make a couple good plays on the infield early and uh, fan favorite pretty quick. So I chose fourth A-B because I, I think he'll get the jitters out and then Giants will be up a bit. In, you know, late in the game, and then not only does he get a knock, but he's going to go yard. That's my prediction. Oh, look at that. I like yeah. that. <laughs> All right, let's get All to right, what we're so drinking. Super simple. Uh, drinking a little light tonight. I got the Corona light with a lime in it, mm. um, and it's almost gone. <laughs> I started it a little bit early. Uh, just, you know, weather's been a little weird off and on. I'm, uh, I might be doing something later tonight. So that's why I'm kind of going a little bit lighter. 
I became an adult this week and I finally, <laughs> I'm turning 50 this year and I became an adult. I finally purchased my first long-term gas barbecue grill. Oh, wow. I, I had been one of those people that every, you know, three, four years, I'll buy the $170 on sale off-brand uh, barbecue from Home Depot or Lowe's or Sears or whoever's got it on sale and I need a new one because the other one's starting to rust up or fall apart or whatever. This year I said, I'm doing it. And I got myself a Weber and I got, got one of them Weber Genesis and it's supposed to last like 20 years. So this, oh, wow. this could take me to the, to the end of my life. So this, this might be my last gas barbecue grill Ever so, I, I've got to put that sucker together tonight, though. Which uh, so I'm having a little bit light drinks. So I have I, I, I'm going to need to buy a little bit of alcohol this weekend, Ooh. and the reason is is because uh, my youngest JJ graduates, um, and we will be in Arizona this weekend, and there's a, nice. a grad party for him, and you know you have probably have about ten you know 10 young 20 year olds and so i'm like ah you know want to you know want to make sure that they're they feel casual and and have a, a little bit to drink if they want you know they're adults they're all over 21 and i was trying to think like what do young people drink and i and i did this when brian graduated i was like oh you know what what do what, what do these kids drink and it was all i think we probably <laughs> even had this conversation it was all like the hard seltzers and, and oh, all that yeah. stuff but brian said just you know, just grab a just grab some Modelos, and I was like, "Huh, that's kind of the thing now." Yeah, yeah, that might be the way to go is to grab the Modelos. But I told Crystal that we'll probably grab a couple bottles of of white wine because it's gonna be. I imagine it's gonna be pretty hot out there. In, it's uh, it's Arizona, isn't Arizona. always like one hundred and five. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's never so, anything else. So yeah, the other one that be ready. The other uh, uh, Mexican beer that is huge right now that's kind of everywhere, too, is Pacifico. A lot of people, because, mm. you know, that kind of makes makes the rounds. It's back and forth. I mean, it's been around forever, but... From what I remember, no. Pacifico was like a was pretty light. Like, it was... It's, it's Corona light, basically, yeah, but yeah. a little bit lighter, even. And yeah. A little bit cornier. It's got a little bit more of the corn flavor, too, because that's what they use... Uh, Mexican beer is a lot of times they use maize uh, mm. corn mm -hmm. uh, as their adjunct. Um, Budweiser is rice. Um, and then m most of the other ones are like wheat, barley, uh, you know, hops, everything else. Uh, hops are in these, but, you know, they're not almost non-detectable. But it's a lot of like corn, um, corn fermentation Got flavor it. in it. You know, light, it's good. So my drink, and I'm already done. You were talking about going fast. I, I went fast. I bought. Uh, I, I was talking about this a few shows ago about my search for the old fashioned. Like I just wanted to taste the old fashioned and all these different restaurants. Like when, when I'm, I'm going to Vegas in uh, in about three weeks, a little bit less than three weeks, and so I'll, I, you know, I'm gonna have a couple old fashions. Just, oh, yeah. just gonna try them out, and so. You know, they make these bottled cocktails now and they're all pre-made and you just pour it over ice. So I bought one from Thomas Ashburn, Ashbourne, and it's like 15 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever. And there's five of them in there. 
And, you know, I was just like, is this as good as something that you would get a bartender to make? No, not even close. Yeah. But 20 bucks for five, that makes them about four bucks each. And you go to a restaurant, you know, they're 20 bucks or whatever. So not a bad, you know, not a bad price there. Uh, But, you know, it's fine. Totally drinkable. Just not that high quality. If you're I'm sure an old fashioned snobs are just going like, why would you ever buy any cocktail already pre-made in a bottle it defeats why the not? if you enjoy <laughs> that's, that's how i feel that, that's yeah. how i feel i'm like yeah why not yeah. i just want to try i just want to try it i just want to see how sure good it is. so that's that's what i was drinking today yeah. okay um i oh i had a good old-fashioned quick shout out to the lodge in reno it's this cool little uh, it used to be a brunch place up uh as you're heading up towards like mount rose ski resort towards tahoe mm-hmm. it used to be a brunch joint now it's like a half ski rental ski sales uh bathing suits I mean, it's everything like mm-hmm. you're heading up to tahoe grab something on your way up there and then the other half is a like a wine bar, um, just regular mixed drinks and coffee, mm. uh, and there's like pastries and stuff like that. So Denise and I went up there for their happy hour on, um, on Friday and I had an old fashioned up there and whoever made it there made it a, a, a really good old fashioned. I've had some really, really bad ones. And, mm-hmm. and this one was just kind of near the top of my list, like top three that I've ever had. So if you're ever in the Reno area, skiing near uh, Mount Rose, check out the lodge on Mount Rose highway. Awesome. There you go. All right. Let's talk about one specific topic before we look at this week that I wanted to bring up. And I want to give you some stats here. Uh, you know, the early stats, it's, we're still so early in the season. These stats don't really mean a ton. But if I was to tell you the Giants pitching staff, the starting pitching staff, uh, three of the starters, uh, they have a, about a combined ERA of about three. And those would be Logan Webb, Anthony DeSclafani, and... Uh, Alex Cobb. Alex Cobb actually has a 2.01 ERA. And Alex wow. Wood, who only pitched uh, in the two games, is at a 1.80. So those are four guys who came right out of the gate pumping and throwing well. And then you get to Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling, and then your longer relievers, Sean Jelly and Jacob Junis. Who do you think is the worst pitcher out of those four? Out of those four, <clears throat> worst in terms of ERA, or let's worst just go by in ERA. terms of when go they go ERA. to the mound, I turn off the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might that might be all of them at this point. <laughs> That's that yeah, it, four. it kind of is. June, that little little a little harsh to Junis. He's he's not. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's yeah. still getting hit. But he's, he's getting not, some hard luck, man. Yeah, he's he's not getting hit over the. Eh, he actually he is getting hit over the fence like these other guys. Yeah, so maybe. Well, Manea, Manea, uh, and um, Junis and Jelly all pitched in Mexico City as well. So you can you got to take those out. But the worst ERA out of all four of them, I would say it's got to be Stripling. Okay. Here are the ERAs of of these four men. And uh, Jelly has uh, the least amount of innings, by the way. He only has 13 innings. 
He has a 10.13 ERA. Ooh, yeah. You know what? I almost went with him because I don't think I've seen him pitch without giving up a run. 15 <laughs> earned runs in 13 innings. Ooh, man. Next is Sean Manaya. 7.33. He's not giving up as many Golly. hits as the rest of these guys. But he's walking more than a than a, a batter every two innings. He's got thirteen yeah. walks in twenty three innings. Ross Stripling six point six six. Now, the thing that's interesting about Stripling is he got really beat up in like a couple of those starts. So I'd I'd like to see the splits as far as like certain games. He seems right. to be the one that might be figuring it out before everybody else. Uh, and then Junis is 19 innings, uh, 26 hits. He's given up five bombs in 19 innings. Stripling's given up eight bombs in 25 innings. So these guys are giving up the deep ball, and they're just getting they're getting hit. And you know, in Manai's case, he's also putting guys on. So you mentioned somebody by the name of Kyle Harrison earlier in this show, and right. I think the exercise that I want to go through is. How long can you keep running Manaya and Stripling out there? And these aren't, they're not actual real starters, right? They're throwing like these half games and these split games and they're coming in after, like they're not like, you're not running them out every fifth day. The Giants don't really do that anyways. They're, they're, you know, they're also doing it very matchup heavy. But how long can you go with these guys if they're not improving until you just go, like, you know, can can we? If we're going to be competitive, can we? And do you, how do you just you can't just bury them in the bullpen, can you? Like, I don't understand what the pitching staff is going to be like when you have when Wood comes back. Then you have four guys who are starting, and then you got Manaya, Junis, and Stripling. That's seven guys who are eating up a lot of innings, and then you got this young kid in triple a who's struck out like two guys an inning in the last 10 innings or something like that. And it's just like, I would love to see Harrison come up, but there's no room because you have Mania and stripling holding roster spots unless they get injured. And, you know, the giants can be good at, you know, making mountains out of a molehill sometimes when it comes to the injury list. But I just don't see an avenue to bring up Harrison if both of those guys are still, you know, on the pitching staff. Yeah, and and I'm I'm with you on that too because I mean it's crowded right now. So looking at Jacob Junis's contract, he could possibly be the odd man out. He he's currently in the last year of his arbit- arbitration, and he's a free agent next year, and he's 30 years old, and he's going to be 31 next year. So if he doesn't turn things around, he could possibly be the odd man out. Uh, you, you can't trade Stripling. You can't trade Manaya. They haven't shown anything that any other team is going to want at this point, unfortunately. Um, unless there's a team out there that says, you know what? You eat the contract. I think we can fix what whatever's going on with either of these two guys, and, and we can run it that way. Um, Kyle Harrison you can't keep him. Well, I mean, as of right now, you certainly can. You can keep him in the minors for as long as you need to. He's still a young kid, and he still has some control issues. And the Giants want him to throw more strikes. They want him to hit the strike zone more often. So you certainly can. Um, but then that means you're leaving Manaya and Stripling 
in in the rotate rotation, we say with quotation marks because, like you said, there is really no rotation if you're pitching for the San Francisco Giants. But you know, you can keep Harrison down for a little bit longer. Um, you can hope that Stripling or Manaya, by the time um, All Star break rolls around, that one of them has really started to turn it on. See if you can move them. But then you're going to run into the same situation you did with Rondon last year, where Rondon was pitching great. And people were afraid to trade for him because he had that opt out. Yeah. So, and both of those guys have an opt out. So, you're in a situation where if they're both pitching bad by the end of the season, you're kind of stuck with them. Twelve point five million each, not not the worst in the world, and it's only one more season. And then maybe in the off season, things get figured out. Spring training rolls around next year, they start to become good, and then they're back in the rotation. Everything's fine. Um, but yeah, I think I think Junis could be the odd man out. I think there certainly could be a mystery injury, and <laughs> and one of these guys could get a shoulder impingement or you know dead arm or something where they have to go on the IL and then they're going to do a little rehab to kind of get themselves more innings and get themselves a little more straight, work on some things uh, in the minors because uh, one of the articles I was reading. Uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, and escapes me who it was, but I think it was Baggerly uh, on the athletic, but he talked about how, um, you know, Ross Stripling pretty much said, I'm working on some things, but at the major league level, you can't do that. You can't work on some things. Uh, he introduced a new pitch in, in spring training, which kind of took away his development of his other pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that could have put him behind the eight ball just a little bit in terms of time. So does he end up with a mystery injury, ends up in AAA and Sacramento to to finally work on those two pitches that, uh, you know, two or three pitches that are his main pitches and get going with those? Um, you know, there's, there's options. There's still a little bit of wiggle room right now, but I think when you get into July, you might start to kind of run out of that wiggle room. And that's when you might see a Junis, uh, DFA at that point, uh, traded, um, you know, traded to somebody for cash. You take, take the rest of his year contract off of our hands or whatever, and, and we'll take some cash back or, you know, so I think, th- I think there's, there's some options going forward, um, I don't know if we'll see Jelly back up unless we really need a long relief guy. Um, but I mean, like you said, I think we got three right now, so it's it's just kind of getting a little bit troublesome when you look at our our you know six man rotation that we have. I worry because, like you said, they may be untradeable. You may not be able to unload right. these guys. Here's the bigger worry, though: they suck. And then they opt back in next year, and we go through this whole dance again. Yeah, though this the trade their contracts would be less scary to trade next year. But that I, yeah. I just you know you don't want to see the team hamstrung with these older guys who are just not doing it. And look, the, the, you know, Manaya said very candidly that he never really worked that hard in the offseason, and this was like the first <laughs> time that he ever did. And he got his fastball speed up, and the strikeouts are there, but also the walks are there. So maybe it's just a little bit of a tinkering, and you know, then then he finds it and he becomes uh, he becomes a really good addition. But yeah, that that's yeah. you know, I, I don't want to rush Harrison up either, but you just look at Manian Stripling and you go, I have zero confidence when they're pitching. 
I don't think yeah, it does not no. feel like it's going to be a good game when those guys are on the mound. You know, and I know Tristan Beck is up too. So I think when Wood comes back, Tristan Beck will probably go down. Um, and, and then you'll have uh, either Stripling or Manaya will end up being an innings eater. Um, they might pitch in games where you have an opener. Uh, you, you know, there, there's a lot of options, and the Giants are pretty creative when it comes to the, the bullpen and when it comes to starting pitching. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of head scratching by us fans between now and, and the time they actually get it figured out. If they ever do. I mean, being a Giants fan, you know that, you know, the Giants brass doesn't always figure things out. They just kind of do things. And you're like, I guess this is how we're doing things now. So, you know, should be interesting to watch in the next uh, couple of weeks here. Uh, okay. Let's look at the schedule uh, as we get into it. By the time people listen to this, the Giants will have already played game two of their series versus the Nationals. They play tonight, 645, so just in a few minutes as we're recording. And then they have a Wednesday day game, always fun. Uh, those those uh, of you who have the opportunity to throw the radio on or throw your iPhone on and can watch the game, it's going to be a fun uh, early afternoon game. And then, man, I didn't know I was going to be in Arizona when the Giants were in Arizona. I, I, I We did this last year, and then Logan Webb got lit up by the Diamondbacks, and that <laughs> right. wasn't very fun. But yeah, Don't uh, go. Don't go. Yeah, Giants are <laughs> in Arizona. They'll play in Phoenix on Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday evening as well. It's a 5 o'clock start, and then they got a 1 o'clock start on Sunday. And, you know, just – Looking at this at the standings as they are, Arizona still playing pretty good baseball. If we go by my BS detector, which is run differential, <laughs> you know yeah. they're probably closer to an average team than. Uh, but it's still early. They're still they're competing. Um, the Giants are uh, minus twenty one runs, and that is probably what their what their plus minus should be with their 15, 19 record, but the, the diamondbacks 20 and 15, they are uh, plus 13 in the run differential. So those should be some competitive games. I feel like those teams are a little closer in competition than maybe the giants are necessarily to San Diego and LA, but you know, San Diego and LA aren't setting the world on fire either. So that, that there may be, if the giants can actually pick it up a little bit, there may be, you know, four teams who are actually fairly competitive in the NL West. Uh, and then you look at Washington. Uh, they are the opposite of the Diamondbacks. They're 15 and 20, though they're competing. They're, they're not getting killed. Uh, they actually have a better run differential than Miami, who is actually uh, a game and a half ahead of them in the standings. Uh, so they're, they're playing competitive baseball. So losing to them, uh, probably not the worst thing in the world as long as you take these next two games because they're they're going to compete. So any thoughts on uh, the rest of this week? What are you expecting from the Giants here, win-loss record-wise? You know, it's kind of tough because this team right now, since, since they started the Mets series... Uh, uh, they're they're a, a nine and eight team, right? I mean, they're a five hundred club, and so looking at and, and going into this series, I thought, well, we, we can get right against the Nationals and, and gain a little bit of ground. But then I started looking at the Nationals' record and how they're playing baseball. They're a good team. I mean, they're they're not messing around. They're pretty much what the Giants are, and mm-hmm. and that's a a good team, a below five hundred team, but a good team. Um, 
so it's tough. So, so I'd say they probably split the next two games, probably win tonight, get a little boost uh, from having the rookie on the club and you got a Webby on the mound. Uh, going into Arizona is always, always a tough matchup. It is. doesn't matter how bad Arizona is. doesn't matter how good Arizona is. That's always a tough place to play because it's one of those places where you can have a 5-2 lead in the sixth inning and it's so damn hot there that the ball flies out of that ballpark, ballpark and all of a sudden they're up 6-5. Um, so it's going to be a matter of keep the ball on the ground, play good defense. If that's the case, I think with six games left this week, I think the Giants could probably go 4-2. Um, you know, if they play exceptional 5-1. and one. Um, But if they're giving up home runs, uh, it's going to be – I think it's going to be another – 503 and three week. Um, so yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd probably be okay with it, especially because half of this, this, uh, trip is, is on the road. Yeah. And then this is where they should clean up a little bit, which would be next week. As long as they're playing good baseball, because the, uh, the Phillies and the Marlins, you know, Phillies and the Giants are, are probably pretty close right now as far as how they're playing. But the Marlins are a little bit of like a pretend team right now, even though they're still yeah. under 500. That's when they would need to, you know, do that five and one run that that you're talking about. But heck, you know, if they can put together, so yeah, they, they had a good week last week. So if they play a little bit more like they play last week. You know, the win loss, you know, maybe you do go three and three this week, but I think things will, will pick up. I, I just would like to see them closer to 500 and, you know, a couple games above 500 because that means if you're a couple games above 500, you know, you're in wild card territory and that's where you want to yeah. be. That's, that's the kind of team that we want to see on the field. Yeah. Cause the wild card standings, if you look at the wild card right now, you know, uh, Giants are, what two and a half games out of the final spot, which is San Diego. So, I mean, it's all still crowded. Everything's crowded. It's early in the season, but still you, you don't want to start falling back to where let's say St. Louis is right now at 12 and 24, six and a half games out of the wild card. Then you're scraping the rest of the season. Then you're starting to look at your roster and wonder where can we trim fat? What can we do? Uh, but the giants right now, competitive two and a half games out of that wild card spot. Um, keep battling, keep fighting. Uh, and, and we can see situations like this where Casey Schmidt comes up and instead of we're saying, all right, it's time to just see what the kids can do. It's more mm-hmm. like, okay, here's Casey Schmidt. He can plug a gap. He can, yeah. he can give us, he can help us go from a Crawford uh, type of shortstop defense to a Crawford esque type of shortstop defense versus like you said earlier, Tyro over at shortstop VR, who's, pretty much worked his way out of uh, the starting lineup yeah. Um, because he's hitting, what, 140, <laughs> 130, something like that, is striking out a tremendous amount of times. Uh, so you don't have to worry about him in second. You can move Tyro back over there. So, so it's more like you're, you're still plugging in pieces to win ball games um, versus plugging in pieces to get, uh, get experience. And, and that's a situation you don't want to be in. Um, so I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting week. Uh still early in the season. But yeah, I, I think going to Arizona, always scary. You know what's the scariest game of all? I don't know why. Every season. 
the Saturday evening games in Arizona, those always end up really weird. There's always something weird that happens in those <laughs> games. You'll go into the ninth inning. Uh, it, it'll be a close game and something weird happens. So if something weird happens on Saturday night, don't say I didn't warn you because it, it, it happens. All right. We will be watching Casey Schmidt very closely. I don't think you can take J.D. Davis out of the lineup because he's their home run leader. I don't know if that I don't know if you can DH JD against left-handers uh and and move Casey no, to third. I'm just thinking more when Crawford comes back because a Schmidt yeah, Crawford yeah. left side of the infield. I think your your sinker ballers, your Logan Webb and your Alex uh, Cobb, they would be very happy if that was your defense on the left side of the Absolutely. infield. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. All right, I'll be back. We'll be back next week. I'll have my maybe maybe uh, there'll be some tales from from a graduation college graduation party that I. Oh, there have. you go. So uh, yeah, it's gonna be I'll wild. Have, I'll, I'll I'll be with uh, Hot Take Bry and and Jay and uh, nice. and Sam. So for Brad, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out. Peace. This is Andrew Rotondi from the Bronx Pinstripe Show. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my podcast, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team, their podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's an amazing platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. So in other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the BlueWire investment round or just want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire. Again, wefunder.com slash bluewire.